You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took away for him from the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. I love you very, very much. I love you so very much. Even when I'm right, I love you so much. Now, thank God our problems are not as bad as Abraham and Sarah, but she told him what to do. She said, have a baby with her because I can't have a baby. And then he did, and then she got mad at him for it. Sounds like a Wednesday. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... There's so much humor in a lot of these stories, if we're willing to see it. But before we get into Abraham's baby mama drama and everything he has going on in his life, we will get there, but this sermon is a little bit different. It's kind of a review and then a declaration at the end of how unbelievably good God is to work everything in our life together for good. It's one of those things where there's no call to action in the sermon. There's no thing that you can do tomorrow for the sermon. But once in a while, we just need to hear a little bit of a review of what we've been learning. And then we just need to hear the gospel preached in a particular way to remind ourselves that whatever's going well and whatever's not going well is all part of what Jesus is going to make well for the world. Amen? Amen? Anybody glad that sometimes even our mistakes will come back to serve our purpose? Thank God. (laughs) So for starters, we're at the end of a series called Let's Go Swimming, the invitation and challenge of holy baptism. And it's a four-part series that ends today. And we've been talking a lot about what is baptism, who gets baptized, and when in their life should somebody get baptized. And what can happen if we're not careful, and I'll say this again a little bit later, if we're not careful, we could get so clinical with the when does somebody get baptized discussion that we forget that the most important part about baptism isn't the day you get dunked. 
It's every single day after that, that you live out your calling, that you walk worthy of your calling. And so we don't want to get so far into the X's and O's of baptism and the back and forth and the doctrine that we forget that we have a responsibility to each other. We have a responsibility to the people that we baptize in this local church to help each other and to help them live out their calling. And as, as we say, to help make sure their baptism garments remain wet with the, with the graceful waters of baptism. For some of us, our, our baptized life has, has dried out. It's in a desert season. And so we need to remember our baptism and have streams in the desert again. And we have a responsibility for every man, woman, child that gets baptized here. That is not the end. That's not the accomplishment. That's not the moment where we say, yes, it's done. That's where all of our jobs begin. It begins at baptism, and we're responsible to each other for the rest of our lives for the rest of our lives. As they say, uh, a, a wedding ceremony is not a marriage. It's day one of a fruitful and fun and exciting and difficult journey where two sinners are living together in holy matrimony for better and for... It's that worst part. That'll get you. That's why we need each other. That's why we need good friends. It's why we need people in our life. But the wedding day is just the beginning. What really matters in a marriage is every single day after the wedding day. No one says on the wedding day, our jokes aren't even, oh, they finally got married, they're done, they're good now. We say, Lord Jesus, help them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Help them now. Amen. They got married. They need you. Oh, how they need you. Am I the only one who needs some help? Thank you, Essie. Thank you. We love you, Essie. Don't get mad at us. Essie's sneaky, and she'll kill you. Somebody claps. That's terrifying. This four-part series will be on the front page of our website, and it'll be nice and edited so that you can... Uh, go back and watch each one on baptism. We will be having, we had a good number of adults sign up to be baptized, so we'll be having a, an adult baptism sometime in September and October. And then the first Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday in December, we will be having a baptism for anybody 17 years old or younger. And so take the summer to think about that. Take the summer to decide whether or not uh, you want your children to be baptized. And we'll have signups and things coming in September with a lot of information. So by way of review, what is baptism? Number one, baptism is our whole life. Baptism is our whole life. Romans 6 says that we were baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is our whole life. Baptism is not the beginning or the end of the Christian life. It defines the entire Christian life. Being baptized is being needy. Everybody's favorite thing to be, right? You love being needy. Baptism is being sent into the life where your life cannot be what God has called it to be without the family that you were baptized into. The people in this room have the rest of what you need to fulfill your calling in life. You cannot fulfill your calling in life on your own. 
You need the other people in this room. God loves us too much to give us everything we need to do everything he's told us to do. He would never let that happen because we would become autonomous, we would become self-centered, we would become islands right away. God did not make us self-efficient, he didn't make us self-sufficient, he made us to be needy. Did Jesus carry his cross on his own? No. Did Jesus go into the Garden of Gethsemane by himself? When Jesus met the woman at the well in John 4, he was sitting down because he was tired and he asked her for a for a drink. Jesus lived the life where he needed other people as a revelation of the kind of lives that we're supposed to live. The more healthy your life gets, the more needy you should be. If you're finding that you don't need people, your life is not in a good place. We'll preach on that one day, but that's only number one. Number two, baptism is remembered every Sunday. Every time we come to church, we don't necessarily come here to get something. We come here to be reminded of what our everyday life should look like outside of Sundays. There should be worship, there should be words, there should be hospitality every single day of our life to one degree or another. Life here, a Sunday morning worship service, is the definition of what life should look like. There should be joy, there should be tears, there should be celebration, there should be prayer, there should be healing, there should be tables filled with food, there should be correction and admonition and encouragement and after everything that happens here, is defining the life that we're supposed to live every other day. And we keep coming back because we will forget if we don't. We will have amnesia very fast. And so Sunday is how we remember our baptism. Sunday shows us the life. Is this good? Should I use this E? Yes? Good, good, good. You can go here. Okay. And we're back. Thank you, E. It's so nice having them up there, no? Can you imagine? Sunday is the life that we were baptized into. Sunday shows us the family that we were baptized into. And Sunday reminds us of the mission that we were baptized into. So the, the life, capital L, Jesus' life is seen most clearly when we come to his table on Sundays. The family that we show up with in all of its wonderful, beautiful difference. And then the mission that we have to go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, being salt and light and encouragement to the world around us. And finally, baptism is a sacramental grace. Something actually happens to your physical body when you're baptized. If you've been baptized, there is a grace that was given to you that you've had since then that you didn't have before it. Something was imparted into your life. If we believe that somebody could preach a sermon and you could say, man, that sermon did something to me, so can the waters of baptism, so can the Lord's table, so can healing and having hands laid on you, having a prophetic word given to you, all of these things communicate their own unique grace. And so when you were baptized, God deposited a grace into your life to live the life that he's calling you to live. When you stand before God and others in a wedding ceremony and you say vows and a servant of God pronounces that you are husband and wife, it's not just the, it's not just the 
carnal moment that you were, the secular moment that you were united, it's also a moment where God is giving you grace for everything you'll need for every other day after that. So these moments, these sacraments that were instituted by Jesus, presided over by the Holy Spirit working through his church and being brought to the hands of the Father, they give us grace. You have something that you didn't have. And it's not because you chose it. It's because God gave it to you in the waters. I'm telling you, if God waited around to give us grace when we chose it, we would have a lot of problems. I choose a lot of things every day. I don't always choose grace. So I'm glad he gives it to me anyway. Amen? Oh, yeah. And I'm glad he gives grace to the people who are around me when I don't choose grace. That's also a good thing. Right? Right. <laughs> baptism is called a right, capital R. It's called a right. It's the right of baptism. And as we say jokingly, the right is not the fight. It's the moment that you're baptized, but then the fight begins. And there's grace given to you. Remember when Naaman had leprosy and Elijah said, go dip seven times in the Jordan and you'll be healed. And he did, and he was healed. Something happens in the waters of baptism that communicates a grace to you for the life that God is calling you to. So being baptized is not essential for salvation. Being baptized is essential to locate yourself in the area where salvation happens all the time. Salvation happens all around us all the time. And anybody, like we, we talk about being saved like it only needs to happen once. Being saved, I don't know about you, but I need to get saved regularly. Like hourly, I have an appointment with Jesus to get me saved. I confess that he's my Lord and Savior, that he died for my sins. At every 59 before the new o'clock, we have this moment. Like I get saved I, 24 hours in a day. I get saved once an hour. I get saved 37 times a day. That's the math that I use to get saved. So being saved is not a one-time thing. We need to get saved from ourselves every day. We need to get saved from the world around us every day. We need to get saved for the person that we are responsible for next. It's not so much what did God save us from. So much of our theology says that he just merely saved us so we don't go into eternal punishment. But that's so small. He didn't save us just from something. He saved us for something. He saved us for a life where we recultivate the Garden of Eden in every soul that we meet, that we're responsible for every day. So we're saved for something. When does baptism happen? Two things that we talked about. We talked about what's called credo baptism or believer's baptism. This is the baptism that most of us in this room are used to. It's when somebody is old enough or able enough to confess the creeds of the church or to confess said differently that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And when they're old enough to do that and they can embrace it and they can say it, they go into the waters of baptism. And so that's called credo baptism or believer's baptism. And baby dedication is the placeholder where you, you dedicate the infant and then one day they get baptized. And so that is one of the very accepted modes of baptism in the church. You won't find 
baby dedication really anywhere in scripture, but it is well within the traditions of the church, and it is a wonderful practice, and it holds somebody where they need to be in community until the day that they can confess that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and choose to enter the waters of baptism. The other way that people have been baptized historically in the church is paedo-baptism or infant baptism. This is when families enter the child into the waters of grace as soon as they possibly can because every child needs grace immediately. Have many of you have had children? They need grace immediately. They need to be baptized and held under the water. No, I'm just kidding. They need to be baptized immediately. And so this is when parents baptize their children and say, you know, we, we are putting them in the waters of grace now so that they have the grace inside of them for the rest of their life to walk in a manner worthy of their calling and one day confirm publicly that they're choosing to live their baptism. And so both of these two modes of baptizing, they end up in the same place. The most important part is really not the when, it's every day after the baptism. That's really what's most important. If we put all of our eggs in the basket of the doctrine, we're going to miss the every day after part. That's what's important with baptism is the life that is lived after. And so the church has a responsibility to teach people to do that. So what are some of the, very quickly, again, if you want to hear deeper parts of this, it's Sermon 1 and Sermon 2 uh, from this series, get into these things much deeper. So go back and listen. Why do we baptize infants? Number one, and again, I'm only talking about why we baptize infants because that's, for most people in the room, that's the newer thing. Baptizing adults or people who are able to confess, that's an easier one to explain because they're saying, I want to be baptized. For infants, number one, and I'll say these quickly, if you want more information on this, you can listen to the previous sermons. Number one, it's consistent with the theology of covenant from Genesis to Revelation. Infants were circumcised at eight days old. Colossians makes it clear that baptism is the new circumcision, and so it would follow that if you were circumcised when you were eight days old, you would be baptized uh, as soon as you possibly can be, which is why it probably happens three or four times in the New Testament, entire households get baptized. When Paul and Silas were in prison and they were singing praises unto God and the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and the prison doors opened and everyone's bonds were loosed and the jailer said, oh my gosh, I'm going to kill myself. All the prisoners escaped and Paul said, no, we didn't. We're still here, which is maybe one of the most mind-blowing scriptures in the whole Bible that the prison doors open and everybody stayed. Because sometimes ministry is more important than freedom. But again, that's a whole, nother, a whole nother sermon. They stayed, and it says that the jailer got saved, and that night he and his whole household were baptized. So if we're looking for scriptural evidence as to whether or not we can do something, we can baptize whole households, regardless of the age in those households, because households were baptized. And the reason why the church continues that is so that there's unity within the household. When the Israelites went through the Red Sea, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that they were baptized into Moses. 
And when you read that story, it says, and all the adults left Egypt with all of their little ones. So they didn't say to their children in Egypt, God is setting us free from slavery, but we're going to leave, but we just need to make sure that you get old enough to choose whether or not you want to leave. So bye, and then we'll come back when you're 18 or something. They took their little ones with them, and Paul says that they were baptized into Moses. The adults and the babies were all baptized into Moses. And if Jesus is the true and better Moses and his flesh is the true and better Red Sea, then how much more can adults and infants be baptized into Jesus if they can be baptized into Moses? Well, what about the personal experience? What about the experience? I want my children to have the experience. That is a good reason to have them wait. I'm all for that. But if you're wondering, is there another answer to that? All through the Old Testament, the Bible says, when your children in days to come ask, what do these things mean? Tell them the story. One of the experiences that God wants us to have, maybe he wants us to have the actual experience of being baptized. Maybe he wants us to have the experience of being told that we were baptized and why. So sometimes it's important to actually have an experience yourself. Other times it's important to be told that your parents knew something was so important that they did it for you. And then for the rest of your life, they tell you the story about why. Has anybody ever had those parents who every birthday they tell you the story of how you were conceived or something weird? It's like, please, for the love of God, shut up. I know I'm here. I get it now. It's like we, the most important thing that will ever happen in your life is the day you were born because nothing that happens after that would have happened if you weren't. No, pastor, the day I got married, that was the most important day of my life. It maybe was the most vital or pivotal, but reality is, if you weren't born, you didn't marry anybody. My kids, the day they were born is the most important. Again, you're not here to have them if you weren't born. So the most important day of your life is the day you were born, and you, weren't, you were there, but you weren't there to remember it. So we have birthdays, so we remember that we were born. Oh yeah, that's right, I was born. And we blow out candles to remind ourselves how depressing life can be. So we have ways of remembering things in secular culture that, we, that happened to us, but that we weren't there to personally experience in a self-aware way, a self-conscious way. Same thing with baptism. I think when it comes to faith, people say, well, can infants have faith? I think infants have a greater faith than any of us do. Which is why Jesus says, unless your faith becomes like, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He says of children, theirs is already the kingdom of heaven. So there's something about the immediate faith of an infant that God says they already hold heaven in their hand and heaven is already holding them. So it would seem that we can walk away from that as we get older, but when we're born, we're there. Jesus said that. Words in red, if you have one of those really cool Bibles. He says it himself. So if theirs is already the kingdom of heaven, then we should be baptizing them into the household of faith because Jesus is saying that this is already their household. See, I'll say this real quick. There's two ways we can look at our children. Way number one 
is that when they're born, they're not yet Christians, and we raise them in such a way that we hope one day they choose to be Christians. So we hold them, we take care of them, we disciple them, we love them, we raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and we hope one day they choose to be Christians. What the earliest church said was, no, 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 no. When our kids are born, they are Christians. And we're going to raise them in such a way where one day they choose to continue to be. You see the difference? In one way, we're communicating to them that if you can't choose, then you can't be a Christian. In the other way, we're saying you are a Christian. We're going to put you in the waters of baptism so that you're part of the Christian church. And we're going to raise you and teach you and love you in a way that's going to make it easiest for you to keep deciding to do that when you get older. They didn't ask me what my name was going to be. None of us said, all right, we're going to wait until, I'm going to wait until baby boy is old enough and I'll ask him. No, I'm like, his name's Theo. Her name's Sophia. We don't ask them. We tell them what their name is, because God's already told us something about the kind of people they're going to be. I pray it every day, ever since they were conceived. I pray for them. Ever since the day they were born, I say, Lord, when I pray for Sophia, let her be a wild olive shoot, completely unpredictable, yet always connected to the vine, and he's answering that prayer, and I'm annoyed that I've prayed it now. Why did I say completely unpredictable? That's on me. And then with Theodore, I say, Lord, plant him by streams of living water in your house and our house that his roots will grow deep and his branches will grow strong and be fruitful for the healing and feeding of the people. Every day. There's some things I'm telling him about him. I'm not going to wait for him to choose it. I'm telling him, this is what God told me about you. He can decide to let go of it one day, and we'll give him that agency. But I'm not waiting for him to decide those things. I'm telling him, this is what God said about you. My mom told me too many times that I was supposed to do this. I became a pastor, not because I feel called to it. I became a pastor so she would stop telling me to become a pastor. That's why I became a pastor. This is kind of fraudulent. I'm not really here because I want to be. I'm here so my mom stops. On and on and on we could go. Both of them are great. Both of them have pros and cons. Both of them are the church's best attempt to handle this dynamite of a sacrament the right way. The spirit, like Jesus says, you don't know where it starts and you don't know where it's going. The things of God are wild, and so we don't want to confine things to one little way of doing it. We want to house many, many ways of experiencing God. Amen? So, what is most important about our baptized life? I have to say, and you know what, the, the, the room's a little light today, so it's perfectly fine. I'm going to do this. Bill, when I wrote the rest of this message, I could not stop thinking about you. I'm serious. The rest of this message, when I was writing each line, I was saying to myself, this sounds like something me and you would talk about on the phone. So I'm excited. I, I hope everybody hears this. But I'm, I, for some reason, I've been, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about how God works all things together for good in a very unique way for the next seven minutes. 
there's something about it that just made me think about you. I think this has the spirit of the way that we, the mystical, crazy, fanatical way that we talk about Jesus. So, so here's Abraham. This has everything to do with baptism. Because baptism is God baptizing you and your best decisions, and he's baptizing your worst decisions, and he's making all of them right. This is what he does. Just real quickly, by show of hands, who has made at least one bad decision in your life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me. He's got these two sons. My man is confused. His wife said, have a baby with Hagar, and he said, okay, I'll do whatever you say. Then he had a baby with Hagar, named him Ishmael. She got mad at him for doing it and said, what is this baby doing here? Kick the baby out. And he's like, but you said, don't tell me what I said. I want him gone. He's bullying my son Isaac. And Abraham's like, he must have just prayed like, God, why? I don't have words. And God's like, honestly, she's confusing. I don't know. I wasn't, give me a minute to think about this. He's in between, he's got Isaac, he's got Ishmael. He's so caught. First, he, he and Sarah both tried to control God's promises. They tried, you ready, to make God's promises happen quicker than they were supposed to happen. And whenever we try to hold on to God's promises and make them happen quicker than they're supposed to, we will immediately hurt and victimize other people. Notice that Sarah says, kick out the slave woman and her son. She doesn't use their names. Because one, you're trying to get something and you're using people to get it. And then finally you get the thing that God promised you over here. Because you were manipulative and controlling over here, you start to want to push your mistakes away. You start to want to pretend that they're not there. You want to say that you're not walking in fear, that you're not walking in discouragement because those things are not Christian things to say. And so we push away our mistakes. We dehumanize ourselves by pushing our own mistakes away. When you don't acknowledge your mistakes, you're not acknowledging something that makes you you. So many of us feel like we don't know ourselves. It's because we can't stand in the same room as our errors. But when we can learn that when we stand in the room with our mistakes, we're also standing in the room with the one who held our mistakes on the cross. We can start to know him, and we can start to know ourselves better than ever. And we will have to use names for those mistakes. And we don't want to use names, but when we start to name what went right, and when we start to name what went wrong, we find ourselves in the presence of God who's always standing with our mistakes. He's always standing with our successes. He's always standing with everything that makes you, you. And he's baptizing all of it and raising it up new. Watch how he does it says early in the morning, Genesis 21, you ready? It's not for you, it's just the kind of thing that I think we'll like. I want everybody to think, he, Bill does not make mistakes, that's why it's easy to have this conversation. He rose early in the morning, Genesis 21, Elder Bill, he rose early in the morning to bring Ishmael out to the wilderness. In the next chapter, Genesis 22, he will rise early in the morning again to bring Isaac up the mountain. This is amazing. He rose early in the morning. Sarah's like, get these people out of my house. And God says, listen to the voice of your wife. And all the ladies said, really? Maybe not. I don't know. Let's see how the story turns out. (laughs) 
Let's see how it turns out. So he rises early in the morning in Genesis 21, and he sends Ishmael out into the wilderness. In the next chapter, God says, now take your son, your only son Isaac, and bring him up the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. And it says that he rose early in the morning again. So two times for two sons, Abraham, listen to me, Abraham wakes up early and sacrifices his children. And both times, God does not get rid of the children. He has Abraham send both children away to show him that you don't have to send your children away, that the promises on their lives are going to come to fruition because God said they would. Both times he receives his children back. Ishmael does not die in the wilderness, and Isaac does not die on Mount Moriah. Both times, neither of Abraham's children die. It's just that God is saying, get your hands off the promise. Walk with them while the promise comes to fruition, but don't control the promise. That's for somebody, I'm telling you. Both stories show the grace of God works within our choices. Watch this. Ishmael went into the wilderness, and he was dying of thirst. And Hagar was weeping because she was watching her son die. And look at what God said. It said, Hagar was weeping, and what? God heard the boy. Mom was weeping, and God heard her son. You would think that it would say, and God heard her. Like in the Samuel story with Hannah. But in this case, Hagar was weeping and God heard the boy. There's a way to weep for your children where God will hear what the children should be saying even if they're not. There's a way to weep for your children where God, your weeping will open up space for God to hear the words that your children should be saying whether they are or they're not. And he responds to that. And he gives him water in the wilderness. Jesus, the true and better Abraham, himself goes into the wilderness and becomes streams in the wilderness for us. Even our mistakes get watered, held, and baptized by God. And watch what happens. Hold on to your seats. I can see you're all so excited now. You've made so much noise now with such rampant excitement. I can't wait to hear what you're going to do next. I can't even hear myself preach you're all so loud right now. Watch this. We all know the typology of Isaac going up the mountain, so we don't need to get too into that. But Ishmael represents Abraham's bad decisions. Now, here's the thing. Ishmael's not a mistake. Abraham's decision-making was. But the kid is never the mistake. People aren't ever a mistake. The decisions people make Lots of mistakes. But the people are never a mistake. Genesis 37, so watch this. Years and years and decades and decades go by. Abraham's gone. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has a trillion children. He's got all these kids. They're not getting along very well. They're strife. Joseph's got a special coat that his dad made, and everybody's mad at him for it. And and now remember, Abraham's long gone, and Ishmael's long gone. But when Ishmael went out into the wilderness, when Abraham sent him out into the wilderness, he met an Egyptian woman. 
and he married an Egyptian woman, and Ishmael and an Egyptian woman developed a relationship, which means Ishmael's descendants and Egyptian descendants developed a relationship with each other. That is so key, because after they were both gone, after Abraham was gone, after Isaac was gone, Joseph gets put in a well. And Abraham's purpose is about to be completely thwarted because they're about to murder one of the sons and the whole thing's going to fall apart. But watch, watch who comes along to save Joseph. Genesis 37. Then they sat down, all of Joseph's brothers, and looking up, they saw a caravan of who? Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh foreshadowing. On their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah, everybody say Judah. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the... For 20 shekels of silver... They took Joseph to, so look at this. Ishmael is Abraham's mistake. He was, the, he was the product of Abraham being manipulative and trying to force God's hand, and it caused so much pain. But one day, years and years after Abraham is long gone, he doesn't even know that his whole lineage and his whole purpose is about to be thwarted if Judah kills Joseph. The entire line of Jesus at that point is completely thwarted. And who saves Joseph? Abraham's mistake comes back and serves his purpose and takes him up out of the pit. And because Ishmael had a relationship with the Egyptians, they bring Joseph directly to Pharaoh's house. And that ends up saving the entire lineage of Abraham from dying in a famine. When you're baptized, God baptizes even your mistakes, and Satan can't help but end up furthering your purpose. There is nothing wasted when God gets a hold of your life. Nothing is wasted. Everything that Satan ever tries to do. Now watch this. Who was it that sold Joseph? Judah. Thousands of years later, Judas, whose name comes from Judah, takes the true and better Joseph and sells him to the enemies for 30 pieces of silver. And because Jesus went to the enemies, we are alive today. Joseph rises to power in a prison. Jesus rises to power in a grave. Joseph sells bread to the people to keep them alive. In a minute, we're going to see that Jesus becomes bread to keep the people alive. Everything that went wrong in any family in the genealogy of Jesus was made right when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Everything was united. Everything gets baptized. Your mistakes are no longer mockers and accusers telling you who you're not. Your mistakes are now baptized, and they come back to further God's purpose in your life. 
the story, what does it say at the end of the Bible? We have overcome the world by what? The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our testimony used to be a word against us. Now it's a word for the kingdom of God. This is what baptism does. It takes your whole life, the good, the bad, the ugly, for better or for worse, for sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. It takes all of it, and it brings it all up into the work of God. And nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Hagar cried, and God heard the boy. And on the night that the Lord gave us this meal, Jesus cried out, and God heard you. This is who he is. He's a God who won't waste anything in your life. So here's my two cents for you. When you're afraid and desperate, fear and desperation are the conditions where most worst mistakes are made. When we're afraid and when we're desperate, we make the worst decisions we make. How do you handle that? This story tells us, say your fears out loud. Say them. Don't pretend they're not there. I have talked to too many people, some in this room, who say, I'm not afraid of X, Y, and Z. Don't live a life where you don't say what you're afraid of. Because unconfessed fear and desperation produce tremendously bad worldviews. Say what your fears are. Talk about where you're desperate. Because God takes that and he uses it to serve you. Don't confess it. Don't say it. It's not that God won't use it. It's that we won't know that he is. The church suffers from a lack of awareness. Listen to me. The church does not suffer from a lack of God's actions. We suffer from a lack of an awareness of God's actions. When we know what he's doing, we join it, and we become fruitful. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I want everybody to just close their eyes today. And just think about this character of Abraham and this thing called baptism. They seem to not go together. They do perfectly. Where are you afraid? And what are you afraid of? Abraham was afraid that he would not have his very own son. Genesis 17, he's afraid that he will not have his very own son to keep the promises of God alive. Sarah is afraid that she will be barren and looked down upon. And because they're both afraid and desperate, they use other people to try to make God's will happen in their life. And they end up hurting people and themselves. Hagar is not a bad person in the Bible. Despite what years of Christian teaching have said, Ishmael is not a bad character in the Bible. Hagar is God's daughter, and Ishmael is God's son. And God saved them both. If you've been used by somebody else trying to make God's will happen in their life, or maybe you've been manipulated by somebody trying to make God's will happen in your life. God sees you. 
He knows you're thirsty for something better and he's going to save you and he's going to heal you whether you feel it or not because he's a healer and whatever God is once, he is always. If you've used anybody, tried to force God's will into their life, tried to use them to make God's will happen in your life, Abraham and Sarah are forgiven. They still got to see God's promises come to fruition. Did they have to walk through some pain? Absolutely they did. But does Paul still talk about Abraham as the father of our faith and Sarah as the mountain of freedom in Galatians? Yes, he does. So even your worst mistakes, when your story is told one day, it will not be told the way that you view it. It'll be told far greater than you could ever possibly imagine. There are so many of you in this room where I feel like God is saying what he said about the woman with the alabaster box. She has made some mistakes, but what she did today will be spoken of about her forever. In the world, man, our mistakes are so much louder than our successes, amen? You ever say that to somebody like, how I could do a thousand things right, I do one thing wrong, and that's what we're gonna focus on today. In heaven, even our attempts to be faithful are spoken of as mountains of glory. When you hear God retell your story, you will be amazed at what he saw the whole time. If you haven't been baptized, it's not magic, it's supernatural. God does something. If you want to baptize your children, We'll do that. If you want to rededicate your baptism, we can do that. There's so many things we can do to keep that flame going. The most important one is to come to this table. Jesus cried out on this night, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out, I thirst. Jesus cried out, it is finished. And when Jesus cried out, God heard us. When Hagar cried out, God heard Ishmael. When Jesus cried out, God heard you. And he heard you saying all the things that you needed to say. Why? Because the Spirit prays through you. Always. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us to this table. Thank you for the Eucharist meal. Thank you for making us bread every Sunday. Thank you for inviting us over your house to eat. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you for reminding us that we are not failures. Thank you for reminding us that we still have a lot of things to learn. Thank you for reminding us that you don't give up on us. Thank you for reminding us that we're your children and you're a good father and you will lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. Thank you that you've given us grace for everything you've put in our life to handle it well. Thank you that you've given us grace to handle the traumas in our life. Thank you that you've given us grace to handle the traumas of the people that you've put in our life. Thank you that no one is going to face something tomorrow that they do not have the grace to handle and face. 
thank you that there will be enough bread to give us the exact amount of energy every day to do exactly what it is you've called us to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And thank you that you don't just heal our good decisions, you also heal our bad ones and bring them into your purpose. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would descend on this bread, this broken bread, this shattered bread, this seemingly meaningless bread. I pray that you descend on it and make it for this church, the body and blood of Jesus, the holy food and drink of new and unending life. And let that miracle remind us that you will fall on every shattered part of our life, every seemingly insignificant part of who we are, and you will make us something greater than we could have ever imagined for other people. Forgive us of our sins and lead us in the way that is right. In your name we pray and everybody said, amen. I'm gonna ask Elder Bill if he could be over here. I'm gonna ask Elder Ron if he could be over here, come receive from the Lord as we worship this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.